0: Good morning and welcome everybody to our annual Mission Sunday and always one of the highlights in the church calendar. It's really disappointing and therefore that we can't all gather together to to share in it but hopefully we'll bring a a taste of it to our homes as we go through the day. Welcome if you're new and joining with us. We hope you'll be encouraged to think about God's uh, global kingdom and and, uh, to join with us. Um, For the rest of the day, um, you can check your email schedule. Um, 12 o'clock, we have Zoom coffee with uh, Matthew, one of our students who's uh, back in India uh, doing ministry with his dad. So we'll hear an update from him. Uh, We've got a seminar at 5.30 on praying for the suffering church. Um, And at 8 o'clock, we're going to get an update about uh, church and mission in Myanmar and a chance to pray. Quick book plug, uh, got a few actually, um, for our children. I have no idea if it's going to be back to front or not, but A Taste of Asia, uh, produced by OMF. This is a great book, we've just finished it. Great help uh, for families wanting to engage with mission, uh, to learn about God's church in Southeast Asia. Um, a Taste of Asia, I can definitely recommend that one. Maybe for slightly older uh, children, but again, great for families. This one's called uh, A Window on the world. Maybe you've used Operation World. Well, this is the the kids' version. Gives lots of really helpful information and stories uh, to help families uh, to pray and to engage with global mission. And um, I might have plugged this one last year because I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to do it again. Dispatches from the Front by Tim Kesey, a journalist who goes to visit um, hard places where it's hard to be a Christian and looks to encourage and to learn and to share their stories. That's a really... excellent book for helping us realise some of the challenges and to be encouraged by what God is doing in hard places. You can get in touch with me if you want to know more about any of those. always like to talk about books. Um, Our call to worship is from Psalm 67. Speaking of books, uh, John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, uh, famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't. And what we have in Psalm 67 is a mission psalm, a prayer that the nations would worship, that they would see and recognise the glory of God. So let me read verse 3 to 5 as we begin together. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God may all the peoples praise you and we're going to join our voices to praise God and we're also going to remember uh, God's global kingdom as we sing our opening song across the lands.
1: victorious
0: together and we'll have a special focus on uh, missions in our prayer, uh, some of our, our friends and uh, missions partners. So let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that we can acknowledge you as the one true and living God, uh, the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, that you rule over all the nations. We thank you that as we gather in our separate homes, that we are part of a global church, worshiping Jesus as Lord in very different settings from ours. Some will be restricted, some will be in vast church buildings, others will be meeting as groups in homes, perhaps secretly, others will be meeting outdoors, some will be meeting in prison camps. Uh, but all of us have tasted and seen that you are good and praising the Lord Jesus forever. We thank you uh, that the good news has come to us, uh, that you enabled us to uh, have uh, the Bible read uh, and preached so that we could hear about your love in sending Jesus uh, to be the one who would come to be our saviour, to forgive our sins, to give us eternal life, to bring us into your family to make peace between us and yourself and we pray that that good news of great joy of a saviour who has come would spread through the nations of the world so that you would receive the glory and praise and honour that you deserve and so that many more men and women and boys and girls would have joy in their hearts from coming to know the one true God for themselves. Lord, we thank you that we can bring the nations before you. We think of the many unreached people groups that there still are, those uh, who have not had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. We think especially of uh, the the nation of Japan, the second largest unreached uh, people group in the world. And we pray for our friend Ken. Uh, We thank you for uh, that small church that he's a part of, uh, for their Bible teaching for their warm fellowship. We pray that you'd help them to be salt and light. Lord, we pray that you would break down uh, barriers of resistance uh, to the Christian faith in Japan and we pray for uh, missionaries and Bible teachers to be raised up uh, so that unreached people would hear so they might believe. Lord, we also pray uh, for uh, those engaged in mission to other faiths and we recognise the the challenges and the sensitivity and the wisdom that's required. We think of our friend Oki working in Indonesia as the largest Muslim population in the world. We pray for their church and we ask that you would continue to build them up in their faith and give them opportunity and desire to share the gospel with their neighbours. We thank you for the Bible college that he's a part of. And as they look to uh, train uh, missionaries and church planters for their uh, nation, uh, that you would equip them uh, to bring the gospel uh, to those who maybe have not heard it or those who are perhaps resistant to it. Lord, we remember uh, Suraj and his work in Nepal. We pray uh, for uh, courage we pray for power as he preaches and teaches uh, that you would continue to draw people to Jesus as Lord there. We think of uh, Pastor Titus and others engaged in uh, church work in Myanmar. We ask that you would encourage them. We pray today that you would build them up in their faith, that as they uh, look to plant other churches, as folks look to care Uh, for orphans and for orphanages, uh, that your uh, spirit would be with them, uh, that you would continue to build your church there. We think of the vital work of Bible translation. Uh, We thank you for those who will use their language gifts to give up years in order to learn a language, to write it down, uh, so as to uh, put the Bible into people's hands. Uh, We pray that you would encourage and give skill and perseverance to those who are involved that as they live in communities that their lives will be pointing to Jesus. We thank you for the work of Bible distribution. We think of Bible societies all around the world as they um, are so persuaded of the power of your word to transform lives that they look to to put it into the hands of the people. We pray uh, that as people receive Bibles for the first time that it would build people in faith or draw people to faith. Lord, we think of uh, agencies involved in um, training uh, new workers for churches, those who would teach and preach and plant churches, those who would be evangelists. We uh, thank you for ETS and the fact that it can train people for at home and for wider afield. We think of uh, Dumasani in South Africa and we ask uh, that those uh, who teach and those who are being taught it would be faithful, that they would be equipped and that you would use them to bring the good news of the Lord Jesus uh, to many in that nation. Now we think of Moses working in Taiwan, we think of Sasha working in Moscow and we pray that you would use them and their organisations uh, to allow uh, more and more people uh, to know the truth that is found in the Lord Jesus. We think of our friends, the Rianos in Colombia, as they look to encourage and to pastor and to counsel those who are involved in ministry. And we pray that by their strong support and by their biblical wisdom, uh, that they might uh, encourage and keep people uh, serving you and serving the church so that your glory would spread. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would give us a sense of your glory and greatness uh, that we would want to be part of your mission endeavour that by our prayers by our giving and perhaps for some of us by our going uh, we would be part of uh, seeing your kingdom come and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven Uh, we pray this so that you would be glorified in Jesus name amen uh, so now it's an absolute privilege for me to be able to hand over to uh, Carl Dalfred. Uh, Carl and son have been with us for a number of years. Um, they are uh, OMF uh, missionaries working in Thailand, but, but back here for Carl to do his PhD if you don't know them. And they're hoping to return uh, shortly, so they'll be leaving us soon. So it's wonderful for us to to have Carl preach for us one more time. And and we'll also have a chance on Wednesday, Wednesday, uh, quick plug for Wednesday, Uh, Carl and Son are going to uh, talk a little about their story, about their sense of call to the mission field, tell us a little bit about um, what um, the church is like in Thailand. So that's a call at eight o'clock on Wednesday. Uh, But now it's a pleasure to have Carl to to read God's word and to uh, bring it to us. Thanks Carl.
2: This morning's Bible reading comes from 2 Corinthians 10, verses 12 to 18, and Romans 15, 17 and 21. First, 2 Corinthians. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves, compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits but we'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And then our next scripture reading, Romans 15, verses 17 to 21. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elysium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, Those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This morning we uh, celebrate Mission Sunday, an annual event here at uh, Buclew Church. But this year, Mission Sunday, when we normally think about um, missionary outreach around the world, it feels a little bit different because of lockdown and because of restrictions. Generally, when we in the church we think about uh, world missions or global missions. We think about going out there, meeting people, sharing the gospel, traveling, uh, proclaiming Christ uh, across cultures. But this past year, we've all been home a lot, and it's, it's, it's been very tempting to not think beyond our, our own household, our own limitations. Um, Jesus said, go and make disciples. But this past year, it's just frankly been difficult to go much of any place. It's been difficult. So in, in this context, when we're, we're all uh, dealing with uh, more limitations and more uh, restrictions than we've, we've had in the past, how are we to think about missions? How are we to think about sharing the gospel cross-culturally to the ends of the earth when we're expected to, to stay home and to, to limit our contact with others? To think about this, to help us uh, think about what missions means in our current context, I wanna take a look at uh, the heart of the Apostle Paul the missionary heart of the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man who knew about serving God in spite of external circumstances outside of his control. You see, Paul, at various points, he had been imprisoned, beaten, near death. At one point, he was in jail for two years. Now, that's a longer lockdown than I think any of us have experienced yet. Five times, Paul got the 40 lashes, minus one. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked, three times, in fact. One time he was adrift uh, at sea for one night and one whole day. A day doesn't seem like a lot, but if you're drifting at sea, I am sure it seems much longer. Paul said, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he's, um, I'm sorry, chapter 11. He said he was in danger from his own countrymen, from the Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger from robbers, danger from false brothers. He suffered hunger and thirst, cold and exposure. All these things were outside of his control. Yet somehow in the midst of this, somehow, Paul remained content and he remained focused on his calling. How did he do that? In the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 4 starting at verse 11, Paul said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Think about that, any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Now, from a human perspective, I find this just simply amazing. I mean, how can you do this? But when the Holy Spirit helps us to refocus on Christ and to trust in Him, such an attitude, it's not impossible. Myself, personally, I still struggle with contentedness and the temptation to complain but through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can all grow in this area. In the midst of all his circumstances, as Paul was learning this secret of contentment, he maintained his focus on on serving Christ. In the book of Acts, in chapter twenty, when he was visiting with the uh, Ephesian, uh, I'm sorry, the elders from the church at Ephesus, Paul said this. This is Acts twenty, verse twenty-four. He said this. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, what was Paul's call? What characterized his missionary heart? And where did that heart come from? It's those three questions that I want to look at briefly this morning. What was Paul's call? What was his missionary call? What characterized his missionary heart? And where did that heart come from? So let's take a look first at Paul's missionary call. Um, Paul, as many of you may know, um, was not always a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, chapter 9, we find the dramatic story of his conversion from Saul, a Pharisee who hated Christ and was persecuting the church to um, one of the foremost servants of Christ, an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's call, as comes out in Acts chapter 9 when Christ confronts him um, and appears to him on the Damascus road, it was primarily a call to Christ, to loyalty and faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, our primary commitment is not to a cause, or to an ideal, or to a goal, it's to a person, it's to Christ himself. Our identity, our meaning, our purpose in life is found in Christ. Paul's conversion on that Damascus road, it transformed him. It transformed his identity, his purpose in life, and his loyalty. It changed him from loyalty to self, to loyalty to Christ. In in, in a general way, that's what happens to all of us who are Christians. God calls us from serving ourselves to wholly and fully serving Him. Receiving forgiveness from Christ and reconciliation with God. We were estranged from God, condemned, being children of wrath, who will be judged for our sins. But now, as Christians, we are reconciled, saved, forgiven, adopted as sons and daughters. That's our identity as Christians. Our Paul's call and the call on all of our lives is founded in that identity that we are Christ, and our loyalty is to him. Paul's call to, to the Gentiles was Uh, a a specific application of the general call that all of us have. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus said, "'Go and make disciples of all nations.'" Now that doesn't necessarily mean physical travel, but indicates intentionality. Not all of us are going to go to the other side of the world to proclaim the gospel. But as we go, we are to make disciples. In word and deed, we are to do things and say things that point other people to Christ as it were, we are representatives of Christ. Um, Paul spoke specifically about this, um, our role as representatives, in 2 Corinthians chapter five, where he calls us ambassadors. He said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What does an ambassador do? when the ambassador for the UK goes to some other country, then what he or she says and does is understood as being the will and action of the UK as a whole. That person, that ambassador, is a stand-in for uh, the whole country. As Christ's ambassadors, the things that we say and we do are to be, under, are, as Christians, should be and are, are, for good or for ill, understood as who Christ is and what he does. So if we're ambassadors of Christ, how should we speak? How should we act so that people know who Christ is? That's our role as ambassadors. That was Paul's role as an ambassador, specifically an ambassador, a representative, an apostle, a messenger to the Gentiles. That was Paul's call, an ambassador of Christ. How did he try to fulfill that call? Acts chapter 13 we see Paul and Barnabas um, set apart by um, the church at Antioch and they they traveled around the Roman Empire. Paul preached, he discipled, he established churches, but there are many obstacles to um, him fulfilling that calling. There are many obst- and there's many obstacles for us today in fulfilling God's call uh, upon uh, our lives. Now, when we th- regardless of what our circumstances are and what we can or cannot do under, under current, uh, current conditions, I think it's helpful for us to look at, at Paul's missionary heart because even though Paul was sometimes restricted in what he could do, his heart didn't change. He still had the same focus and the same motivation. Even though temporarily he may not have been ideally in the place that he wanted to be or having the experiences that he wanted to experience. He trusted in God's sovereignty, that no matter where he was, God's hand was somehow in that, and that he was able to be obedient to God in those circumstances, even if it didn't look like what he thought it should have looked like at that time. So two characteristics, two characteristics of Paul's missionary heart. Um, Pastoral care and evangelistic advance. Pastoral care and evangelistic advance. These two things were in in his heart. the first, first of all, pastoral care. As Paul traveled around and preached, sometimes he stayed a short time, sometimes a long time. Uh, partially, sometimes he just only stayed a short time because he was driven out of town, he was persecuted, he was stoned, that he had opponents who drove him away. But even when Paul was only able to stay someplace a short time or, or not be able to, to visit um, the believers in the various churches like he wanted to, He was still thinking about them. He was praying for them. He was writing letters to them. He was planning for the future when he could come back and visit them. And when he wasn't able to go personally, he would send others in his place uh, to check up on and care for uh, the churches that um, he was connected with. Now, in the case of the Corinthians, this morning for our scripture reading, one of them, our scripture readings, was from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. Now What's the background for the Corinthian church? What was his connect, Paul's connection with Corinth? Paul had visited there. He would preached in Corinth. He saw the birth of a new church there. So in many ways, he was uh, the father. He was the founder of the church in Corinth. And despite opposition, he stayed there for uh, a year and a half under the protection of the Holy Spirit. And he preached, he discipled, he built up the church at Corinth. Later on, he had to, he had to move on. When Paul, after Paul had left town, problems developed in the Corinthian church. There was sexual immorality. There was abuse of spiritual gifts and more. So what did Paul do? He couldn't get there, back there right away, so he wrote letters to them to address the problems. Eventually, he made another visit. And when we get to the book of Second Corinthians, um, he's, he's laying down plans to visit them again. But while he'd been absent this time, a new problem had developed among them. There are some false apostles or in some translations are called super apostles false apostles who had wormed their way into the congregation at corinth now paul wasn't territorial he wasn't jealous Um, he wasn't opposed to other preachers coming in and building up the work that he had started Uh, in fact at one point uh, an evangelist named apollos um, came after paul to corinth and he was teaching the congregation um, we each have our limits. We can't be in every place uh, at every time. And there's many members uh, to the body of Christ, and we all each have our part. Paul understood this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollo watered, and God gave the growth. Each of us has our part to play in the body of Christ. We don't all have the same gifts or same abilities, uh, but we just do what we can uh, with what God has given us. Paul wasn't interested in hogging all the, the honor uh, among the Corinthians or all of their affection. Um, he wasn't lording over them uh, in that way. Um, but he was the spiritual father of the congregation. Now, the problem with the false apostles that who would come in wasn't just that someone else was, was preaching there, but they were, they were boasting. They were trying to um, exert authority um, and lift themselves up in the eyes of the Corinthians and push Paul down. They boasted about how great they were and all their deeds and how much they had done, even beyond the, the limits of truth. And they were trying to, to, to push Paul out of the picture. They were saying things like, you know, Paul is mighty in his letters, but he's weak in person. Now, this was a common tactic in the ancient world, to boast about oneself and exaggerate your accomplishments. It was expected that rhetoric teachers, politicians would uh, would toot their own horns, would talk about all their wonderful accomplishments, and uh, speak derisively of their adversaries. That's how you got followers. That's how, you, that's how a rhetoric teacher got paying students. Now, in the world today, this is still not uncommon. On social media, among politicians, there's still lots of boasting and comparing. Um, maybe you can think of other realms of life where this still happens. But Paul, Paul would have none of it. This, this just wasn't a Christian thing. Comparing ourselves with others all the time, trying to push others down to lift ourselves up, boasting about how great we are—this is not a Christian thing to do. This is a that kind of thing is what people who want to honor themselves do. Not some not—it's not what someone who wants to honor God does. But in, in the specific Corinthian situation, because these false apostles had come in and were boasting and lifting themselves up and trying to. Um, marginalize and push Paul out of the picture and to get not only the respect but also the money of the Corinthians, Paul felt like he needed to say something. His authority was being challenged and these false apostles were having a detrimental effect upon the Corinthian church. He had to say something. So in this context, how did Paul, the missionary founder of the church, speak about his own work? There's, There's lessons here today for how we speak about our own work and how we as a church should expect missionaries that we support uh, to speak about uh, their work. The false apostles had come into Corinth commending themselves to the Corinthians. They wanted to take control of the church. They wanted the believers there to think they should be paid for doing what they were doing in coming in and trying to control the church. They were using worldly criteria for judging themselves. Specifically, they were talking about their commanding presence their shows of power, authority, their impressive speech, their worthiness to merit compensation from the congregation. something that Paul had never done. Um, he didn't want to be a burden to the congregation. he got support money from elsewhere, but he didn't want to uh, ask for money from the Corinthians themselves. These false apostles juiced, boasted these false apostles boasted of their Jewish pedigree, their endurance of hardship, their mystical visions. But Paul's response is this. He says that they have usurped God's role in evaluating their ministry and ignored the only criteria that matters, what God has done in and through them, regardless of all these other credentials they could have. The thing that really matters is, is God working in you and through you? It's not really what other people think about us and our work that matters. It's what God thinks. And oftentimes we ourselves are not a good judge of, of our own work. Um, and we may not really be being in a place, know enough to, to judge the work of other people. Ultimately, the only judgment that counts is God's judgment. But because Paul wanted to um, help the Corinthians, he, he, he cared for them. He wanted them not to be taken advantage of in this way. Um, he set an example and he, he told the Corinthians how he wanted to speak uh, with them about his own work. and, and what, and he, he, he gave in, in the passage we looked at, he, um, and in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, both before and after the passage we read, he, he talks about the things that is proper to boast about. He doesn't really like using the term boasting, but he feels like, well, the false apostle of boasting, and even though this is completely ridiculous to do so, it's foolish to do so, I will, I will boast. What does Paul boast about? If it could even be, ter- be termed boasting. Um, he boasted about his own weaknesses, not something you normally advertise to the world, he, he, he boasted about his own weaknesses and in God's work, what God has had done among the Corinthians. Paul thought it was only appropriate to speak about the work that God had assigned to him, not about someone else's work. We shouldn't be claiming for ourselves what someone else has done, and Paul, and Paul said, I, I can't do that, I shouldn't do that. Paul's not trying to win respect for himself um, by taking, uh, he's not trying to win respect for himself um, by talking of someone else's accomplishments as if they were his own. If they have done something that's worthy before God, so be it, but he, he can't claim that. He only wants to speak about what God has done. Another thing Paul says that he's not gonna do is try to assert superiority over others. There's no room in the kingdom of God for the comparison game. In 2 Corinthians 10, 18, Paul says this, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So it doesn't matter how many people praise us, how many you know, likes or thumbs up we get uh, on some social media platform or how many accolades we get from the world. It's only the Lord that matters and pleasing him. Whether some, one person is superior or more accomplished or, or someone else is, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Our business is only to do our best in serving God in the place that he's assigned to us. Paul didn't want these false apostles um, setting up a bad example for the Corinthians, taking their money and setting up this worldly idea of lifting ourselves up and praising ourselves rather than praising God. There's a holy humility that needs to be modeled by, uh, by a missionary, really, really for all of us, uh, in only taking uh, pride and only glorying in the things that um, God has done in us and through us. And by extension, we can also praise God uh, for the th- things that he's doing elsewhere, but not taking credit for those things ourselves. <clears throat> this is this is a picture of Paul's um, pastoral heart. Even though he's away from the Corinthians, he's still concerned about them. He doesn't want them to be taken advantage of. He doesn't um, want them to... Um, to be confused about what the gospel is about what it means to walk in faith. So this this is the first part of his his missionary heart, pastoral care. He may be away in body, but he's there with them in spirit. Uh the, the, one of the, the second thing in Paul's Paul's missionary heart that's really important to notice is his desire for evangelistic advance. <clears throat> He cares for the Corinthians. He he wants them to grow and be built up in their faith, but he wants to do more than just um, care for those who are already converted. He wants to be pushing beyond, to go out to where Christ has not been named already. He wants to see the church grounded in the truth and growing healthily and with joy, but there's still others who haven't yet heard the good news. What about them? In our world today, there's parts of the world where uh, the name of Jesus has not been named. People don't know who he is. Or sometimes they've heard of him, but it's just it's just a name. It's like, oh yes, that, that Christian God thing. Or, or even, uh, even here in Scotland, in the UK, um, there's an alarming degree of biblical illiteracy. Um, if you compare um, people's Bible knowledge and familiarity with Christianity um, with say 50 years ago, or 100 years ago, or 200 years ago, People just don't know the scriptures anymore. Um, they may they may have heard of Jesus, heard of Christianity, know bits and pieces they've heard here and there, but have they heard the gospel? I would conjecture that many people really haven't. They may think they know what Christianity is about, but they don't. Um, so they may know the name of Jesus, but do they know Jesus? Do they know the gospel? There's a place for us to work in our own families, in our own uh, backyard. Um, Do we have an evangelistic heart like the Apostle Paul um, to bring the Gospel to those who do not know the Gospel, both those who think they know him, but they just know his name and don't know much, and also to bring the Gospel further beyond uh, to those who really have just never heard of Jesus. Um, We see this desire in, in this passage that we read this morning. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 15 and 16, Paul says this. He says to the Corinthians, our hope is that As your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond. In regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. Paul expressed a similar sentiment uh, to the Romans. In his letter to the Romans, chapter 15, verses 20 to 21, Paul Paul is saying that it was his ambition to preach Christ where Christ had not already been named. In writing to the Romans, he he said that he hoped to visit Rome to encourage the saints there, and when he was visiting there, to get some support and help from them in pushing even further east to Spain. We don't know if Paul ever got to Spain, but he certainly wanted to. It was a good thing that he wanted to, to get there. Now, in this past year, we've probably all had uh, things that we wish we could have done we might have, may have had travel plans or events we wanted to do or people we wanted to see um but we never got to them circumstances changed and we weren't able to do what we wanted to do um, but even if we can't do all that we want to do it's it's good that we have motivations to do those things that if there's good and noble and and right things to do we should hang on to those those desires and uh, with, with with open hands, though, because we don't know what we'll really be able to do in this life. Some things we'll get to, some things we won't. The Apostle Paul wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to bring the gospel still further out to where Christ had not been named. Did he get there? Maybe. Maybe not. We don't have any evidence that he did. But it's a noble and commendable thing that he wanted to do that. Do we have that desire? Do we have the desire to make Christ known where he uh, is not known? Do we want to do what we can we want to do what we can, what we can do to see the gospel reach more and more people? In, in this day of restricted travel, closed schools, businesses and churches, limited contact with others, going out to share the gospel with people, especially those we may not know, or, or we may not know very well, it, it seems well nigh impossible. How, how can we do that? Um, of course, there's creative possibilities online and you know, we're, as, a, as a church, and as people were, were already stepping into some of those possibilities, but those are still limited. In, in many ways, it's you know Zoom or other, other mediums are just not quite the same as being there in person. There's more you can do when you physically see someone. Paul knew about this. Paul is Paul often limited and restricted. He was stuck in jail for a long time, and later he was under house arrest in Rome. But as far as I can tell from reading the scripture, he didn't moan about it. For me, um, it's maybe for you. You can answer for yourselves. Um, it's sometimes difficult not to complain. Uh, my my personality sometimes I'm prone to take a a glass half empty uh, approach to situations to be to be cynical, and it takes effort. I have to put concerted effort into to being positive and being hopeful and looking on the uh, the brighter side of things. It's, it's easy for me to, to, to slip into to pessimism, um, but I think for for me and and maybe, and, and for all of us. Paul's a good example of Paul's a good example of being content where we are um, and making the most of his situation and seeing God's sovereign hand in his circumstances um, e- even in jail and house arrest uh, being beaten and persecuted um, he was able to take things as they as they came and to um, continue to show care for other people and uh, to keep the flame alive, to keep the flame of wanting to push out an evangelism alive in his heart, um, even when he wasn't able to, to physically go. The desire to preach the gospel um, where, he, where Christ had not yet been na- be named, the desire to preach the gospel where Christ had not yet been named, it stayed in Paul's heart, even when his body had to stay in one place. In writing to the Corinthians, he hoped that their faith would grow, so that um, so that the Corinthians they could help him in turn in pushing out to share the gospel with still more people. Um, but in order for that to happen, um, the Corinthian church needed to be healthy. Um, if Paul was was always having to put out backfires and just and, and solve crises in the Corinthian church, then he wouldn't be able. Uh, to go out and preach to yet more people who hadn't heard Christ, um, and, and this is this is the this is the tension between pastoral care and evangelistic outreach. Um, myself, having having served in a mission field in in, in Thailand for uh, for more than a decade, um, I, I've seen this tension. There's a if you establish a church and you know there's people who believers who are beginning to be able to lead it. The temptation is to think, well, this church is okay. I'm just going to keep pushing on in evangelism. Um, but the challenge there is if you if you leave a church uh, too early without ongoing pastoral care, you know, they may, the church may unplant itself. It may descend into, into conflict and other problems or get uh, sucked off into uh, some sort of heretical cult. So a church needs a certain amount of pastoral care until it can really take care of itself. But at the same time, it's easy to be, become uh, too self-focused and too uh, inward focused on one's own congregation, so much so that um, you never get out in evangelism, that um, there always seems to be something that needs to be done, some sort of issue that needs to be attended to um, in, in a congregation. Um, because as people, we're, we're weak and sinful and there's always going to be some sort of uh, issues and problems uh, in our lives, if not in our lives, then if someone else in, uh, in the congregation. So how do you balance this pastoral care and evangelistic outreach? Um, it's it's a tough nut to crack, um, but Paul sought to do this. He cared for the congregations, but he also wanted to move out in ongoing evangelism. Where did Paul's missionary heart come from? That's 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 the last thing that I want to ask here. Um, it's great because so far we've talked about Paul's missionary call. We saw he wanted to care for the congregation. He wanted to keep alive the flame of evangelism, regardless of whether he could physically move. Uh, Move out and and preach the gospel or not, but how did he do this? Where did this this come from? Um, Sometimes it's easy to look at the Apostle Paul and think, wow, you know, he was just, you know, an absolute saint. He was a spiritual overachiever, but, you know, I'm just me. You know, I'm not, you know, super spiritual like the Apostle Paul. You know, it's nice that, you know, he had such an ardent flame to preach the gospel and the boldness to do so. But uh, but I feel discouraged. I, I, I feel like I'm just sort of putting out fires in my own life, and my family's life, and right around me. I, how can I think about you know, sharing the gospel with others and, and moving out beyond that? Sometimes even if we have the time or ability, we're just discouraged and we can't focus. Uh, or sometimes we just don't want to. So where did Paul's motivation, where did this cart come from? When we're discouraged, um, we're tempted to look only at our own difficulties, to have a, have a, a pity party for ourselves. Um, we do have legitimate needs, they need to be taken care of. God knows our needs and is concerned for us, but how do we, how do we avoid being um, consumed by our, our own situation? How do we lift our eyes up and find the joy in God's calling and what he's done for us? For Paul, his missionary heart sprang up from the knowledge of what Christ had uh, done for him. When we meet Paul in in Acts 9, uh, he was a wicked man persecuting the church, but God saved him instead of condemning him. Paul knew he deserved judgment, and many times throughout his life, he thought back to what God had saved him from, what Christ had done for him. He had a very low opinion of himself. He knew he wasn't anything that God should save him or do anything with him, much less make him an apostle to the Gentiles. One of the many places where he 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 thinks back and just and thinks back to to what God has done is in Romans chapter five, and in, in this passage there here in 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 chapter five, uh, starting at verse six, you can almost hear Paul breaking into this spontaneous praise. He's writing his letter to the Romans, instructing them on many you know, weighty doctrinal matters. Um, but there's almost sort of a breathless joy in what Paul wrote here. He wrote, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For we will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good one, one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For a while if we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive this reconciliation. Paul had joy because he was continually looking back. He was looking back, he was looking back, reflecting on who Christ was and what Christ had done for him and what Christ was continuing to do in this world. Paul's heart of missionary service was not some sort of extraordinary zeal that he you know, conjured up in himself. Um, it wasn't something that an ordinary believer can't hope, ever hope to aspire to. The source of his missionary heart was simply his joy in Christ and his salvation. If we are discouraged, if we're tempted to look only to ourselves, and if we're tempted to neglect others, neglect sharing the gospel in word and deed, let us look back to Christ. Let us remember what he's done for us. Let us remember the blessings in our lives that we have seen by the hand of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us think about his faithfulness to his people in scripture and throughout the ages. Let's meditate and reflect upon Christ, looking to him day by day by day, in all sorts of circumstances, both easy and difficult, precedented and unprecedented. Because when we continue to look back, look to Christ, to what he's done and who he is, it's from there that that joy and thankfulness springs up. It's from there that we have that motivation, desire to be a blessing to others, not just to absorb God's blessing, to our blessings for ourselves and keep them. It's not easy to regain or to maintain joy as we're buffeted by the world, the flesh and the devil, but it's worth it. To sum up, what I want to remember, what I want you to remember from this sermon is this. Regardless of our circumstances, let's turn our eyes upon Jesus and kindle our joy and motivation in him. Let's remember Christ and what he's done for us and what he is doing. Because this is the source of Paul's missionary heart. Paul cared for people pastorally, and he wanted to reach reach out to the regions beyond to make Christ known, where Christ had not yet been named. As a church, let's behave with a and, and speak and think with a Christ-word focus, like Paul, and let's support missionaries and missions endeavors um, where there's a commitment to pastoral care and ongoing evangelism as reflected in the life of Paul. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for um, the joy that he had in you and the salvation uh, that you wrought on his behalf and the behalf of all of us. We pray that we would have thankful and joyful hearts as Paul did and that Uh, you would kindle in us a desire to uh, care for those around us in Christ's name and to uh, share your uh, word of life with those who do not know you, both uh, in our limited circumstances now and as uh, the world changes, uh, going out and beyond um, as we can to make you known uh, in a multitude of ways using the gifts that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh, now we're going to conclude with um, our final uh, song, uh, Psalm 67, uh, which is a wonderful um, song of, uh, of praise to God, um, asking for his blessing to bless us, not for our own sake, but so that his name may be proclaimed uh, to the nations of the world. Amen.